0: Good evening, and uh, thank you for the invite. It's lovely to see as many of you here tonight. So my name is Yazan Masanat. I'm one of the surgeons here in ARI. Uh, I'm one of the breast surgeons. I'm also a lecturer in the university, a non lecturer here, and a lecturer in the University of East Anglia and the masters in oncoplastic breast surgery. So a couple of months ago, sent me an email and said, do you want to talk about certain types of breast cancer that are over-diagnosed in the screening program? I said yes. And then I realized there's no audio visual, visuals, so there's no <laughs> slides, there's no data to present. So we thought, okay, that will be easy. How long do I need to talk for? They said 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And when you look at all the data, all the slides that are not there anymore. It's very difficult to fill 10 or 15 minutes, so let's hope I'll manage that. Now, the title is Differentiating Tigers from Pussycats, and also you can blame Van Spears for that title. It's mainly there's, since the screening program started, there's been lots of overdiagnosis of certain types of breast cancer that we really did not know that they were as prevalent, but also we don't need to treat but the problem is that we don't know how many of those we need and we don't need to treat. So if we talk briefly about breast screening, that all started as an idea in 1985. It was Prof. Patrick Forrest. He chaired a committee to look at the evidence behind breast cancer. They looked at the evidence from neighboring countries, mainly from Scandinavia, and that showed that, yes, mammographic screening does uh, have benefit. It can lead to prolongation of life, mainly in women aged 50 and above. So it all started in 1987. It's nearly 32 years. So they started arranging for the screening. And the first invite was in 1988. It was for ladies between between the age of 50 and 64. Once every three years, mainly for logistics, otherwise you'd not be able to do that. And one view. So the mammograms What we usually do is two views. One is what we call a CC view, which is the breast is up and down. And one is an MLO, which is side by side. So you started only with an MLO. Until in 2003, they included the two views, which is much more accurate. will pick more disease. In 2004, age extension came. So we started scanning until the age of 70. Now in England, not in Scotland, they have the X trial, which you can start screening from either the age of 47 to 70 or from 50 to 73. And they're seeing, is there any benefit extending the age a bit more? And because this program has lots of quality assurance and QPIs, also all the ladies that have higher risk of breast cancer, like the ladies that are in the breast screening for family history, ladies that have BRCA gene or high risk of getting breast cancer, they all now get screened through the screening program. 2014, digital mammography came and became part of the breast screening, so we're picking more and more. And 2017, tomosynthesis, which is a newer type of mammogram, became also part of the screening. So how does it happen? It's all through the GPs. So all the ladies that are registered in a GP practice, when the screening is in the area, When you reach the 50th birthday anything between the three years of the rotation when they are in the area the gp will send the name of the patient to have the screening mammograms they get the invite the uptake is about 70 percent there is mobile units and there's static units here in aberdeen mobile units will go to alden will go to Fraserburgh, will go to shetland will go to orkney and the static unit is mainly here in ari everybody has two views And all the screening mammograms are read by two radiologists. And if they don't agree on the uh, reading of the mammograms, they will just uh, assume that uh, that the more abnormal one is the correct one and just invite the patient to have further investigations. Simple data from 2016, 2017, that's across the UK. 20,049 new cancers from the screening program. Keeping in mind the total number of breast cancers in the UK that year was around 55,000. So, nearly 35 to 40% of the breast cancer cancers are detected by screening. Nearly 80% are invasive cancers, about 20% is non-invasive, and that's what we're going to talk about. Because that's a cohort of patients. We don't know what happens with that non-invasive cancer. So out of 1,000 mammograms or 1,000 women having mammograms, 8.4 or just under 1%, we find the cancer. So that's a pickup rate. But there's dangers of breast cancer screening. Any lady that goes to have a mammogram, there'll be always psychological issues. You'll be always stressed about having the results. You might wait for too long to have the results, and you might find that there is something on the mammogram Less less than 10% of the mammograms will have abnormality. That does not mean that you have a cancer there. So most ladies that are recalled don't have any actual cancers. Many ladies that have biopsies don't have cancers. They just have either benign or innocent lesions, or they might just have some what we call high-risk lesions. That means that they need to be seen more often and screened more often. But here we're going to talk about overdiagnosis. And overdiagnosis means the diagnosis of a medical condition that would have never caused any symptom or any problem for the patient. And there's lots of those with the screening. We're going to talk mainly about DCIS, and we'll talk what is DCIS. But also remember that in some older ladies, a small, low-grade tumor is an overdiagnosis because it might take years for it to grow. Also, some people say that some of the small, low-grade tumors might even regress. So why are we treating all those cancers? So DCIS is a disease of screening. It is non-invasive cancer. So if you think, I'm sure that Prof. Spears will explain that Much more detailed than me, but it's at the cellular level, the the cells are cancerous. But at the tissue level, the cells have not started invading through the tissue. So it does not tend to spread. It does not tend to go anywhere else. The problem is that DCIS is a precursor lesion. That means some of it will change to invasive cancer. The problem, we don't know which. So 20%, we're talking about 4,000 ladies have DCIS in the UK a year, which is a high number, and we don't know how many of those will have breast cancer. Remember, before breast screening, only about 10 in 100,000 ladies had DCIS a year. Now it's about 90 to 100 uh, per 100,000 a year, so it's a higher incidence. So if somebody comes to clinic, they have been to screening, They have some microcalcification. That's how we usually find the DCIS. Many other imaging modalities will not pick it. You will not see much on the ultrasound scan. Even MRI scan will not pick most of those. usually see just a bit of change on the mammogram. You have the biopsy, and then you have DCIS. The DCIS is looked at under the microscope by a pathologist who tells us, is this low-grade, intermediate-grade, or high-grade DCIS, depending on what they see under the microscope. So, when the patient comes to clinic, you usually tell them, we're taking this out for two reasons. The first reason is the biopsy tells you about that small area of the DCIS. That we biopsy does not tell you about the whole area. So, there's a chance that you might have invasive disease there. And for low-grade DCIS, 1 in 20 ladies will have invasive disease. Those numbers are based on some papers. Some papers will give higher probabilities some numbers will some papers will give lower probabilities the intermediate grade is about one in 15 and the high grade is on one in six or one in eight so if we're leaving it we're risking that we might be living invasive cancer already but also if we argue that we know it's all dcis all non-invasive some of it will change the problem we don't know which we know that In some series, in the high-grade DCIS, they see up to 60% will change in 10 years. So not all of them will change. And in the low-grade, it's only 10 to 15% will change in 10 years. And usually the high-grade DCIS will change to high-grade cancer. The low-grade DCIS will change to low-grade cancer. But that's why you'll see all those things in the news every now and then. You'll see them in the newspapers that the breast screening, I've lost my breast for no good reason. And yes, we have taken many breasts off for no good reason because we don't know what's going to happen if we leave the breast in. Now, some people even suggest that DCIS does regress because if people looked at post-mortem studies and they find on post-mortem studies, the incidence of DCIS is much less than what you expect when you find it On the screening so why are we excising it as I said mainly because we don't know which ones are going to change second of all because we don't know if there is invasive disease anyway and third of all because I need a job so we cannot not excise all those areas (laughs) now for the surgery and you'll be surprised that many ladies will have more surgery for less aggressive disease If you look at the data from the screening program, up to one third of ladies with DCIS will end up having a mastectomy. That's not a small percentage. So now it's gone down to about 25%. That's still about a thousand mastectomies in the UK for something that not necessarily will cause any problems. Up to 60% and sometimes it's higher percentage of ladies will have radiotherapy. And radiotherapy is not without problems. It will cause changes in the breast. It will increase your risk of having problems in the future in the breast. And some people even have hormonal treatment like tamoxifen or some hormonal modulation. There's some trials even looking at more aggressive type of treatments of DCIS. But for what? Now, there is some data screening. If you look at screening, most people agree it's a good thing. But there is many surgeons that don't feel it has changed much in terms of overall survival and prognosis. The people that are for screening and for treating DCIS aggressively, they'll say, now when you have a screening you have one mammogram or the mammograms every three years and those are called screen detected cancers and any cancer in between those mammograms is usually called interval cancer and the data that is collected for screening it is heavily audited all across the UK so the units that have high, high detection rate of DCIS, they have higher detection rate of low-grade cancers, which is a good thing in theory, especially that you know that for every three DCIS you pick in those units, there's one less invasive cancer and picked in between the screens. So we're picking things earlier. That doesn't mean that you're changing the outcome. But even if we're picking the earlier cancers, when you think of it logically, you should have less number of high-grade cancers in the future or more aggressive advanced cancers, but that's not the case. So we don't know if any of those little low-grade cancers were going to progress as, as bad as we thought they would. So there is benefit from picking things early, but still we, we need to tailor that to know which patients that have the CIS will benefit from surgery in which patients things will not change at all and will not benefit from treatment at all. There are a few trials. One of them is called the Loris trial, which looks at doing nothing for some ladies that have low grade cancer. There is some genomic and translational uh, work that looks at the biology of DCIS to try to differentiate between different types of DCIS and see can we somehow differentiate which are the ones that will need to come out and which are the ones that we can leave. And here I leave you with Prof Spears. She'll talk about this in a bit more detail. Thank you.
1: Okay. Thank you very much, Yazan, and good evening, everybody. Um, so as you've heard from Yazan, one of the real dilemmas that he's faced with as a surgeon who treats ladies and indeed the occasional man that comes into his clinic with breast cancer and particularly with DCIS, is knowing which of these DCIS lesions is going to develop into an invasive cancer. So I'm a, 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 a cancer biologist, and um, my lab's just over in the IMS, um, just over the other side of, of, of the Sutte building. Um, and for the last 20 or so years, uh, I've been working in breast cancer uh, for most of my uh, career. The work that I do is very much translational. And by translational research, I mean that the the work that we do in the laboratories, we want to be able to to use to inform uh, what the clinicians do to treat patients um, in future. And the the way that I like to think about translational research is a dialogue uh, between the laboratory work and the clinical work, so that we can work collectively to come up with a better solution uh, to treat patients, in in this case, uh, with breast cancer. So Yazan's mentioned quite a lot about DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. Uh, You might see in your tables there's some handouts. Uh, We don't have any visuals for this talk tonight, but I'll just try and explain what DCIS looks like by using um, the handouts. So if you look on the left hand side of the image, there's a cartoon of what normal breast tissue might look like. And you can see that everything looks very regular, very ordered. The cells are all sitting in the positions that they should be. And the inside of the circle are the epithelial cells. On the outside of these are the myoepithelial cells. And surrounding the, that, you can see sort of long spindle like cells. These are called fibroblasts. So that's what normal breast tissue, typically a cartoon version of normal breast tissue might look like. Everything's very nice and ordered and regular. If you look at the middle uh, image, here we can see an, a cartoon example of ductal carcinoma in situ. Um, And what we have here, you can see that the ordered appearance that we saw in the normal uh, breast epithelium has been lost and the cells are starting to grow in to fill the duct, the normal breast duct. Um, They are still contained within or they're still bound by the myoepithelial cells. They haven't actually broken through the basement membrane, so they're still very much contained. And the cells continue to grow within the duct and eventually there are certain selection pressures. Uh, the duct becomes distended um, and you can live with DCIS perfectly normally and not even know that you have it. It's not going to cause you any problems but what we want to be able to to find out is the the ones that the DCIS actually break through um, the the basement membrane as you can see on the, the right hand image and become invasive carcinoma. So here what's happened is all the cells have broken through Um, the basement membrane. So it's a bit like if you imagine a field and you've got animals in the field and they're contained within the field. If you open the gate of that field then the animals can get out. And that's what has happened in this case with the invasive carcinoma. So what we want to be able to do in the lab is to to, uh, be able to determine uh, which DCIS will remain as DCIS versus which will become um, more invasive and develop into invasive carcinoma. So We've been able to develop some models in the laboratory um, of DCIS, and we can do that uh, by using material from the Grand Biorepository uh, here at the ARI site. So what the Grand Biorepository does, it collects uh, tissues from patients that are undergoing uh, tests um, for uh, a, a breast-related condition. We can ask for consent to use these tissues in our research. Now, we're working on human disease, um, so there's no substitute really for being able to use uh, tissue from humans. And that's really very valuable and very beneficial um, for our research. And what we can do is we can take cells from these uh, uh, patients and we can look down the microscope and see um, what these cells should should look like, um, so how they should uh, behave. And similar to the the cartoon diagrams that I've shown you, what their sort of morphological appearance should be and where they should be um, within the tissue. We can take these cells and we can combine them and add various other uh, factors uh, to that. um, And we can model DCIS in the lab. And that's great because when we can do that, that allows us to identify or or to identify from perhaps from the literature, from previous work that people have done, uh, genes that might be involved in initiating uh, the progression of DCIS to cancer. And we can can include these into our models and see if we can move from the DCIS uh, middle phenotype to the phenotype that we see in invasive cancer. And that's really quite valuable. However, um, to some extent, that's a bit of intelligent guesswork. We don't really know the genes that are involved in causing the DCIS to become invasive. We're guessing from the literature, we're mining from various sources, from from other pieces of work. But what would be much better if we could actually study DCIS itself? Now, Yazan mentioned uh, the screening units in the UK. So all of the the UK uh, screening units, uh, the data that's that's captured from these screening units um, is sent down to Birmingham to to Public Health England. Um, and Even even the the data from Scotland goes down there. So all the data from Public Health England is is, is retained. And we know the ladies that have been diagnosed with DCIS and the ladies who have been diagnosed with DCIS and then gone on to develop invasive breast cancer. So that's a really good resource. So what we've been doing, we've been working uh, with the people at Public Health England and laboratories throughout the UK and and indeed now in the the US um, and we've been identifying the DCIS cases um, that remained as DCIS and the ones that became invasive cancer and we've been extracting uh, DNA from these and we've been looking at the gene profiles and what what we hope to be able to show is there might be different genes expressed in the Um, so-called dangerous DCIS, the ones that are going to progress to invasive cancer versus the non-dangerous DCIS. And that's been done um, under the auspices of what's called the Sloan Project. Um, Professor John Sloan was a professor of pathology who worked at the University of Liverpool and he had a great interest in in DCIS. He sadly passed away a a few years ago now but we decided um, in in honour of of his name and his uh, interest in DCIS to name the the, the project um, after him. So the Sloan project looking at DCIS and whether or not it is likely to become invasive. We're very fortunate that we've got funding um, to do that um, and we've done all the genomic analysis and um, just next month actually there's going to be a meeting at Public Health England in Birmingham where that data is going to be discussed and we're going to see what the, what the results might be. Um, there's a huge amount of uh, genomic data has been uh, 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 identified from these studies Um, What the challenge is now is to actually intelligently mine that data so that we can identify if there's perhaps a gene or more likely a gene panel um, that we might be able to use in future um, to help inform which DCIS are going to become uh, more um, dangerous. And hot on the heels of that, um, Cancer Research UK, a couple of years ago, um, through one of their Grand Challenge Awards, uh, actually funded a team, a UK-based team, an American team, and a team in the Netherlands um, in uh, what's called the Precision Project, which is something very similar to what we're doing within the Sloan Project, but on a much larger scale, using material from America, from the US, as as well as, as some of the British patients. And what we eventually want to be able to do is to come up with a, a panel of genes so that we can go to the clinics and help surgeons like Yazan, other clinicians that are treating our breast cancer patients, um, so that they can look more um, intelligently rather than the, the, the guesswork that we're using at the moment with DCIS and um, we can look to see if there's a particular gene profile that's expressed by the DCIS that might tell us whether or not um, the, the, the DCIS is going to become invasive and clearly that's important from a patient point of view because at the moment um, a lot of patients are receiving unnecessary unpleasant uh, treatments that might remove, uh, might include uh, removal of the breast uh, as well as unpleasant um, chemotherapies and, uh, and radiotherapies which have uh, maybe nasty side effects so that's that, that that's our goal um, to be able to um, improve our understanding of breast cancer invasion from the in situ or DCIS um, uh, stage um, into invasive breast cancer and hopefully in the future to be identify uh, new uh, genes that we could possibly target for treatment as well as being able to to help us inform um, DCIS progression so thank you all very much and we'll be delighted um, to answer any questions um, that you may have